All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Amateur Footy Hour. I'm Chris, alongside Guesty, and we've got a couple of things to talk about today. Guesty, we're going to jump straight into it. AFL Townsville season kicked off last week. Uh, we had the Kara Swans travelling to Northern Beaches Suns for round one in the women's reserves and seniors. The Suns managed to score a win in the women's, and then the Swans took out the resis and seniors. So the, the games were split. Um, what do you think, how did this set up the season for both those clubs? We'll start with seniors, considering that's, that's the competition that you play in, so it probably means a bit more to you. Uh, it means that we've got an open field. You know, In the past, we've probably been kept to a, a three-team competition in regards to who can win the premiership. And it would be fair to say Curra have had a lot rough last couple of years, but for them to come out round one, get a win in the seniors and reserves, it's really good. It opens up the competition right up. You know, the Suns in the last three years, I believe, since since they've been in the competition, have knocked off each senior side at least once. Um, and they, they only lost by two goals. They were right in it up until the sirens. So it means we've got a, we've got a competition. We've got five sides going for the flag. Um, an increase in quality, I think, we'll see this year. Um, and a more even competition. And who can be upset and angry about that? Well, it's good for the, the Swans because if you look at last year, they only won one senior game. Uh, for the season, the Suns played finals, so it probably meant a little bit more to the Swans to start the season um, well. They've started a lot better than the Sydney Swans, so their namesake. But it was good for them to get the win up. And like you were saying, the game was was pretty close. There was only two goals in it. It was a pretty tight contest throughout the day, actually. It wasn't as though one side really looked like they were going to break the game apart. Whenever a side kicked a goal or two, it looked like they got a bit of momentum. The, the opposition side would respond and they'd find a way to get back into the game. So it was a good way to start the season. Um, and then in the reserves, again, the, the Swans, who, who made the grand final last year with the runners-up, they, they started their season in pretty strong fashion, recorded a, a pretty good win over the Suns in the reserves. And the women, the Suns, managed to take away a two-goal victory um, at home. Good way to start their season. Again, probably the reverse to the seniors. The, the Suns missed out on the finals last year in the women's, so uh, start the season out with a win, it's good for them, particularly, like you were saying, when we want to see a strong competition, not just in the men's competition, but in the women as well. Especially with Kara actually having won the women's blitz. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a, quite a nice surprise. I think I was putting gear in my car when the game started, and the siren went, the Swans kicked the goal in 30 seconds, and I thought, uh-oh, we could get something like we've had at the blitz here, where Kara dominated sides, but to their credit, the Suns stuck right around, um, and then were able to claw their way back and get themselves in front in the second half. They probably dominated the game from the parts I watched for the first three quarters. They were they were probably the better side for, for much longer. So obviously they got the, the the goals they needed in the last quarter and walked away with the deserved four points. But as we've said, you know, it sets it up to be a good competition this year, which is what we want. Yeah, exactly right. So round one's in the books. Let's look forward to round two uh, tomorrow. Well, it'll be this time tomorrow, actually, from when we're recording yeah, now. We'll it will be, actually. Half time. So we'll be playing half-time. So we'll start with the game that you probably don't have a conflict of interest in. We'll go That's to... That's a way of putting <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> so the Suns are playing the Hawks, again, in all three grades, the, the women, the reserves, and the seniors. Um, what do you expect to see from the, the senior side of things, from the, the Hawks and the Suns? Um, from the Hawks and the Suns, I expect the Suns to back up. The, uh, the effort they put in last week. I think they've got quite a similar side. We've been going through the team sheets before. Obviously, around Easter time, it's very hard getting your full side out there with work commitments, holidays, visits to family. But, you know, the Suns put up a good contest last week, and I expect them to do the same thing again. As I said, we've been through the team sheets. We've seen the Hawks 
are missing one of their better players at the moment in um, Damien Broderick. Daniel Broderick. Daniel Broderick. Yep. League, league best and league fairest best winner. Best so anytime you take out a league BNF winner, it leaves a bit of a hole in your side. Yes, one of one of the two. They've actually they get Troy Sherratt uh, back in there. So they'll be strong, the Hawks. Um, but I expect, if, if you'd ask me for a tip, I'd say the Hawks, probably by around five to six goals. But they are coming in with a new coach as well, a new coaching panel, a new setup. Obviously, they would have had the recruits they brought in, but they've obviously got the same that core of their side from last year, you know, blokes like Josh Cash and Corey Wedding, Sherratt and Broderick and uh, Ashley Watson as well. So I expect them to be a bit too strong for, for the Suns tomorrow, but I expect the Suns to put up a good contest for four quarters. And that's something they actually did last year against the Hawks. I don't think I don't think they beat them, but they were within five to six goals within every game and a couple they nearly pinched wins off them. So it seems to be a side they match up well, and having played against the two of them, they, it actually does because the Suns are a strong side that love to play tough football for four quarters. The Hawks are a big side that love to keep the ball in the air, and so they, they match up quite well to have you know enthralling contests. So I'll say the Hawks by five goals, but um, I would not be surprised at all if the Suns were uh, able to get closer and even steal an upset win. So what? Did, so obviously the Suns played last week. Do you think that gives them an advantage having shaken out the cobwebs with their first game of the year? Um, or do you think the Hawks have a slight advantage knowing this is their first game, they're going in fresh, they probably they won't have the bumps and bruises that the Suns might have taken last week in their game against the Swans? Or do you reckon it depends how you look at it? I think it helps the Suns. Um, we always get reminded round one, every, every competition, skills are not at 100% in the first game of the year. So the Suns have already had the benefit of having played. I think the other factor is to fitness levels. You know, for as much running and as much hill work you can do during the preseason, you're not match fit. You know, regardless of how fit you are, you sit in the AFL. It's the same at local level here in Townsville. So, you know, the Suns have had that. They've had that third quarter, fourth quarter tie out. They actually had a good fourth quarter last week. So, you know, once it gets past half time, it's been quite hot up here in Townsville recently. I actually expect that to help the Suns a little bit, and I expect them to run out the game a little bit. Stronger than the Hawks, and then in the, in the women's game, uh, we've got the Suns and the Hawks. The Suns obviously starting out the season with a win. The Hawks are preliminary finalists from last year. They're looking to try and go that extra step and, and make the grand final in, in the women's competition. The big the big thing I take out of the women's competition um, is move, moving to the bigger fields. So North Shore is quite a bit bigger than the outside field here at Riverway. Obviously, the Suns have the advantage of, of playing on that field. Um, from that side of things, how much of an advantage is it playing on your home field? If you look at the, the Hawks, their oval at JCU is quite long and narrow, whereas the Suns is a lot wider and uses the wings. Do you think that's going to give the, the, the Suns women's side a, a bigger advantage and a chance to start the season 2-0? I think it does, especially with the women's competition. They normally tend to play games out the front here at Riverway, where we are at the moment. So... The Suns getting not just one but two home games to start the season at their own ground is a, is a massive advantage and something that probably rarely happens up here. So you know, I expect them to want to take they want to take the most, get that advantage out of it, and I expect them to because I thought they fought back quite impressively last week. Um, as I said, they deserve the four points, and I expect them to do it tomorrow as well. All right, so that's our first first game of the round. So right, do you want to talk about just the second one by yourself? No, I'm going to bring you into this. <laughs> so, so the second game, we have the Kara Swans hosting the Tharangal Bulldogs, who are one our guest will be lining up for. Guesty, so heading into your first game of the year, obviously started last season really well. 
Um, I think first won the first six or seven games, um, won a handful of games actually, and he, he probably didn't uh, suffer your first loss till midway through the season. Then obviously you get people that leave and you know, go midway through the year, and um, probably didn't end the year the way you would have liked. Do you look at this as an opportunity to start the season really well um, and attack the year in 2019, coming up against a side in Cara that is up and about at the moment, having won their first game of the year, which they haven't done for for a few seasons now. Yeah, Cara are obviously up and about, and it's good. It's what AFL Townsville needs. But for us, it's, and for me personally, it's probably just looking at the fact, you know, you can only control what you can control. You know, so we've got a new coach. You know, I think we've got seven or eight changes from um, from last year. I feel we're probably a bit stronger, um, without wanting to sound too arrogant, but we've probably beefed up a little bit with size and a little bit more age and experience, which is what we needed. Um, you know, we were quite a small side last year. So the way we the way we want to play and with the, the sort of players that we've picked up probably that probably helps us. Um, and I must admit I love playing Cara in round one. I think we every year I played this is my fifth year. I think I played against them round one every year bar one. And it's always a good contest because they're up for it. Even in the in the past when they've not been the most talented footballers, they actually come out and they give it a red hot crack and really make you earn it. And this time, you know, with how many new players they've got and the skill and talent, you know, it's gonna be a red hot contest. It's it's going to be a tough four points for either side. So to, how, how to, do you prepare get. for that? So you're coming up against a side in Cara that has got a number of, of new players that not just are new to the club, but new to the region. So that not a lot of people know a bit about them. They've only played the one game, so you don't get a great opportunity to study them. But they managed to get that win, so obviously they have improved. So you talk about controlling what you can control, but how much do you put into opposition analysis and finding out who the key players are and how you might negate some of the better players? Uh, it's just like most local sport. You know, you hear names and you hear whispers, but until you actually see them play and go up against them, you don't get a good gauge for what they're capable of doing. Um, I must admit, we've talked a little bit about who they've picked up this year, but um, and maybe some of those words have been passed on, but you really don't know how good or what they're capable of doing until you see them on Saturday. So, you know, as I've said, you know, we can only focus on what we can control and the roles that we've all got to go out and play. So we've had a good week of training and we're, we're feeling good about ourselves, but obviously that'll change on Saturday, uh, tomorrow, that first contest. So we've just got to focus about our job and make sure we go out and do it. As cliched as it is. <laughs> Speaking in cliches so I don't get in trouble here. <laughs> okay, so we've got, um, then in, in the women's game, that'll, we'll start the day off, we've got the, the Swans hosting the Dogs. How much... How much will last week's loss, you think, sting the Swans and how much are they looking to, to bounce back and, and make sure they get their first win of the season? Especially in front of a home crowd too, you know, playing on their own home ground, which I don't think they've ever had the um, the, the honour of doing so because of the way the fixtures work. So they'll 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 have that, that vengeance for losing last week, but then they've got that bit of extra pride for playing at home. And if they manage to get some players back, which I know they're quite dependent on the army, you know, that will strengthen their side. Um, but looking at it from a dog's perspective, you know, we've seen the girls train um, twice a week, same time as us, pretty much. They've got a lot of new players in. I know they are the defending premiers, but they've had the likes of Madison Goodwin travelled, uh, moved down to Brisbane, you know, to further her career. So they've got a lot of new players in, new coach as well. So it's quite exciting as a, as a Bulldogs person to see what the women are going to be able to go out there and do tomorrow against a fairly talented side. And I think the the high. But you were hiding there, a number of good players have left the region, but we saw, um, based on the talent that was on display at the Blitz, we've had a fair few players leave the region 
in the women's competition. We've also had a fair few come into the area. So I think the growth of the women's game in Townsville, not just in the number of players, which is really booming at the moment, um, but, but the increase in the talent that we're getting into the area as AFL grows, that's got to be a good thing for the sport. Right, it is. And it, it's what we're seeing the AFL replicate at the national level as well. You invest time into these girls and women and they're going to get better at the sport. I know, I don't know for a fact, but I know with our Bulldogs side, we're bringing in girls who haven't played football before, but all of a sudden, very quickly, they can become quite influential players. Take, for example, Alice Campbell last year, who played her first game sometime during the year, having never played football before. And I think she, was she best on ground in the grand final? or She, I she was she the uh, rising star winner. Rising star winner, second in the best and fairest at the Bulldogs. AFL and Townsville team of the year. From so what yeah. I can remember in the grand final, quite influential as well. So it can show just how quickly talented athletes from other sports can come in and have an influence here in Townsville. So this time next week... It'll be Easter. We're heading into Easter. Probably so you get, you, get the fresh, <laughs> you get the fresh week. So you have, you have your game of football, your week off, and then the following week, junior season kicks off. Yes. 20, it's, been a, it's been a long process. Obviously, we would have liked to have started our season uh, already by now. We were hoping to be a couple of rounds into our season, but as a result of the, the, the floods and the storms at the start of the year... Um, we have to push out the start of our season back, but hopefully all the, the families that were impacted by the storms, have uh, that's given them a bit of extra time to recover and, and take care of things at home. So uh, football didn't sneak up on them too quickly. Uh, you're also coaching our junior side this year. So looking at things from a, from a junior perspective, coming back from your senior player and how you're, you're a junior coach, how excited are you for the start of the junior season? Very excited. I know it's still two weeks away, but I think we've been training. I've been training the young boys and girls on my side for oh, since the middle of February. So, you know, it's been two months. It's probably going to be a good 20 or 24 sessions thereabouts. You know, until we play in round one, and they're quite excited. They've been training. We train this week at the holidays. We'll train next week as well. We were actually quite fortunate enough that the Suns invited us to play a practice game against them last week, which was very kind of them. And they loved being out being able to go out there and play football, which is what they want to do. So they're very keen. Um, yeah, they're watching their footy on the TV, they're training. They're, a lot of them are doing umpire as well, so they're quite involved in their football. And uh, I know they're just waiting. They're chomping at the bit to get out there and play uh, their round one, which will be two weeks here against the Suns on uh, Riverway. Full day that day? Full, Full day. day. So all will teams massive. playing here. Big day for the club. We're playing both for the uh, Finn Hong and Cup. Two through legends our, of Townsville footy. Through our competitive grades, and then we also have the Luke Powell Shield, um, a young footballer at the Dogs who, who passed away um, about 15 months ago at the age of 15. So uh, uh, a memorable day for the club, but an important one too that gives us time to reflect a bit as well. Yeah, so that, that's always a good day that both clubs want to support really strongly, and it's, uh, it's, it's good to have these sort of fixtures where you obviously have your Anzac Day clashes, your Indigenous Round clashes, um, all, all these sorts of things, but... The, the competitions that the clubs can come between themselves and come up with it, the Finn Holman Cup, it's something that both the clubs have driven. It's not something that the league's taken on board. It's not something that um, has been driven externally. It's that the two clubs have come together and decided this is what we want to do to show our respect to uh, the, the two legends of AFL Townsville and obviously um, <coughs> sorry, uh, playing for that cup. So it, it's good to see that despite we can go on the field and have that white line fever and you go gung-ho for each other, that you can still have that relationship off the field with clubs. And I think that's what community football is really all about. Yes, absolutely. And especially in a place like Townsville where it's it's a small AFL community. You know, We've only got the five clubs. We're in rugby league heartland. As much as we all want to go out there and win as many games and as many premierships as we can, at the end of the day, it's important to acknowledge 
that we are all a part of football in this city. And, and being able to acknowledge people like Finney and Holman, you know, the impacts and the work they've done for their clubs over the years have been massive. And, you know, you don't want to go saying anything too outrageous, but they are integral parts of their club and part of the reason why those clubs are still alive today. And being able to, to sit back, stand back and just acknowledge the work that they've done is really important. And it's it's something that I think AFL Townsville is getting better at the last three or four years. You know, you have the Anzac Day clash, which you mentioned with great, uh, great partnership there between the Hermit Park Tigers and the Cara Swans, and the Uni Hawks as well have been. Um, so they, had, they have their Manny Day her. as well. They, um, you know, all the clubs, they in, Hawks in particular. Sorry, I'm getting messed up here. They have their um, their Indigenous Day, and then I think it's a day for Maddie. Might be one of their reserve grade players. I think. Um, yeah, it's just really good that all clubs have been able to give back. And it's and a good buy-in. Like the, the other clubs, if, if a club comes forward and says, we'd like to do this for um, a particular date against a particular side, the clubs buy into that. So it's not just a case of every club looking out for themselves, but they know it's community sport, they get involved, and if, often if you get asked to do something, you'll often get a positive response from that other club. Absolutely, and you've been able to facilitate all of that and approve all of this uh, happening. Is uh, You should see what, what he's doing. He's doing these one finger, yeah, the finger turn bumps. up to the computer. <laughs> but, you know, having two clubs that, or having a club approach another club, that club says yes, and then you've been able to let this happen is um, is really good. And as you've said, time and time again, it's what football is about, community football. You even see it in the AFL all the time. I know Collingwood and the Dogs tonight are playing for the Robert Rose, club, uh, Robert Rose Cup and raising money for people in, uh, in wheelchairs and quadriplegics. So as much as we all love to win premierships and win games of footballs at the end of the day being able to do good things like like this and raising awareness for for people who aren't as fortunate um is really special and a real positive benefit to society so as a whole it's good to have footy back in town isn't it it is absolutely um when we get flowing in may <laughs> for good it will be it'll be like summer has never happened so I'll use, you mentioned the, the clash tonight between Collingwood and the Bulldogs. I'll use that as the yes, segue to get into the yes, AFL. Perfect. That, that as I roll through it. <laughs> so obviously last night, being a Swans fan, did not go, no, not a good night. Um, started out well. They got a, they got to about three goals up, I think, at one point. They were, they were in front by three goals and Controlling Swans were starting to look really good. And then the Demons just came back at one point. I think they kicked five or six on the trot and uh, really put... Put a gap on the Swans and they never really pegged back. So Demons were able to get their first win of the year, which is good for them. A lot of people are expecting the Demons to be uh, really contending for the Premiership this year. And obviously starting 0-3 uh, wasn't ideal for them. Uh, but to go to Sydney and get a win on the road, this might be the, the win that kickstarts their season. And for Sydney, that's uh, not the not an ideal result considering they were they were 1-2 going into the game. Uh, it's another loss at home. They've lost two games at home to start the season there. Four in a row. Yeah, their record, home, their record at home wasn't great last year. Uh, so it's something they hopefully can pick up on the road. They're not too bad. But at home, it used to be a fortress, but they're not having the best results at the moment. But from a, as a Sydney fan, from um, my perspective, it was really good to see some of the younger kids really step up. Ollie Florent had a really good game. Zach Jones had a good game. Tom McCartan's been thrown down back. Which last was, two weeks. Yeah, something handy. Uh, he'd sort of played all last year as a... Centre-half forward, so it was a bit surprising to see him get named in the side um, as a defender. But uh, he's done quite well the last couple of weeks, so interesting to see if they pursue with him down back. But it, it's good to see the young kids really stepping up and, and taking a bit of responsibility on. Um, got Richmond next week uh, down in Victoria. and 
I think someone's Given, going to that. I'll, I'll be present. I'll be uh, with my red and white on. Cheering, in the coach's cheering. box. I'll try and sneak in. Uh, I won't be invited in, but I'll, I'll try. I'll try and sneak in. Um, but we'll speak about that game a bit later so, well, once we speak about well, Richmond. Where, where do the Swans get better? Obviously, they're one and three. Not ideal. Not ideal. And their only win was up against Carlton. So yep. how do they turn it around? What, what are they going to do? Um, I, it all starts from the engine room. I know that's a simple thing to say, but if you watch last night, Max Gorn just absolutely dominated that. Fifty-five run. hit outs. Fifty-five hit outs. Um, I think when they get, I think getting Sam Naismith back is massive for them because when's he back? Uh, they said it should be round six. So not whether, far away. Whether he plays a couple of games in the NEFL, he did his ACL, so you imagine he'll probably get a couple of games in, in the reserves before he comes back in. Um, but he, I think he's pretty crucial for them because he gives them first use of the football. He might not be as agile around the ground as uh, Sinclair, but he's a, a bash and crash ruckman where if he doesn't win the ball. He's going to make the person earn it. And I think you need a player like that in the AFL. So I think if I can start getting first use of the football in the midfield, um, I think that's that's a real driving force. If they can get the ball forward, they, they tend to have targets up there. Obviously, Buddy didn't kick as accurately as he would have liked last night. But if he sends a couple of those misses straight through the middle, the result could have been a little bit different. So I think... If you look at the games, they lost to Melbourne, they lost to the Bulldogs, and they lost to Adelaide, particularly the games against the Bulldogs and Melbourne. They were in both of those games and realistically could have won both of them. They could be sitting in a lot different position if a couple of things went their way. So I don't think it's panic stations at the moment. Um, I still think they're they're building. They, they generally tend to be a side that starts the season a little bit slower. Um, obviously, they went 0-6 not that long ago, so they still played finals. So well, I, isn't it I, the record every time they go 0-2, they somehow manage to make the finals? I think that's, yeah, they said something like four of the four of 50 sides that have gone 0-2 have made finals, and three of those four sides were Sydney in three different years. So Keep the faith. Um, yeah, so I don't, think it's, I don't think it's panic stations just yet. Like, I know their, their best football is good enough to contend with those top teams, but um, you, know, you don't want to be too far behind chasing too early on in the season. So... Um, yeah, good win for Melbourne. Good to see them back, back. up and about. Yeah, because they, they had a lot of dark times. So they just started to come good the last couple of seasons. So it's it's good to see them actually back up in uh, on the winners list. We we didn't want another season of Melbourne down the bottom. It wouldn't have been a wouldn't have been great for the, for their fans who who have endured a fair bit. A fair bit. <laughs> a yes. Fair bit. No, it's good for that football club to be back, and hopefully they can continue on. They must have Richmond in two weeks for Anzac Day, and Richmond probably can. That's a bit of a segue. Not the powerhouse they have been in the last 30 games. Well, they, they always talk about, you know, you, you have to have luck with injuries. And uh, they have had the exact opposite. So you, you, you can you can handle injuries if it's to players that um, are probably outside your best four or five. Unfortunately for Richmond, Alex Rance went down in round one. Jack Rewalt went down round uh, two. Round two. Uh, Trent Cotchin is unavailable at the moment. He and went Dusty down Martin, in round three. And Dusty Martin is suspended for this game. So... You look at those four players; they're probably they are the big four. They're the, the, the four best players in uh, in their side. So um, they'll get Dusty Martin back uh, next week. Next week, uh, they won't see Alex Rance for the season. Um, Jack Rewalt's a, a little way Couple off. He'll, he'll he will come back into the side though, so they'll, they'll be able to manage to cope. But they they want to make sure that they're not too far behind when they do start to get their cavalry back. So this game against Port, it's uh, it's massive for them. It's also massive for Port. They yeah. they. Started the season really well. I had their first slip up last week against Brisbane in Brisbane, but you know Brisbane's they were in that with two yeah. minutes to go. And exactly right. Home so this is tough to beat. This is this is a, a tough one. A lot of people seem to think Port Adelaide are going to win 
purely because of Richmond um, has so many outs. But this is the side that won the Premiership two seasons ago and were everyone's favourites to win it last year until the quarter prelim. time with the prelim. So we, we know there's a lot of quality outside of those uh, big four players. And I think Tom Lynch can take a lot of the load that um, Jack Rewalt had. So and He's been playing well. He's been he's playing really well. In he's seen that to be a very handy pickup for them. Um, but yeah, talking about that, Vic, what, what what do you expect to see? Because I've tipped Port Adelaide, but I I'm not completely off Richmond. I, I I wouldn't get angry with you for saying that because Port Adelaide probably have a fair bit to prove as well. You know, if they want to be this good side that everyone thinks they are, they need to come out and probably win by at least seven or eight goals tomorrow because Richmond are vulnerable. They've got them. They've got Richmond. In Adelaide, at the Adelaide Oval, good sides win that game against injury-depleted sides by a lot. You know, if Richmond... I, I would expect Richmond to um, to keep it a contest, but Port at some stage you are going to have to blow them away. If they don't, well, maybe it is an off game, but I think Richmond, with the way they've been built by Hardwick over the last three or four years, and particularly since 2017, and, you know, the... the the fact is that we don't see that happening inside the club that got them to that premiership, the connection between player and coaching staff. We'll, we'll keep them together through this tough period because in, in a month's time, they'll have Dusty, they'll have Koch and they'll have Rewalt back barring you know, anything disastrous because I think it's only two or three weeks now for Rewalt and Koch. And so if Richmond are able to keep together, put up a couple of not honourable losses but decent performances pinch a couple of games, maybe go into round eight, three and five, four and four if they're good enough, and, you know, they'll get everyone back. They're going to have to set up their defence to play without Rance because he's not coming back. So if they can do that, they'll get their three good players back and then they'll be able to, you know, three and five, four and four. You can make finals from that. Yep. They've got the massive crowds at the MCG, yeah, you know. They, or they like don't a lose there very often. No, they don't. So as long as they're set up, as long as they don't, if they get to one and seven or two and six at round eight, we're in, we're in panic stations. Yeah, that, it starts to get tricky at that But point. anything three and five and above, they can still easily make finals from that. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, you've only got to be in the eight come September to contend for the flag. So, um, all right, we'll move to tonight's game. Big one. Big one? You're... Because if Collingwood go one and three... They, could be, be, they could be part of a prestigious club at one. Well, you would call it a prestigious, three. but not one you want to be a part of. And oh, don't think that club. the media won't be out part with of. pitchforks <laughs> looking for people to blame. It's also a big game for the Doggies. So they, they dropped a game against Gold Coast. They, they would have been expecting to win last week. That would have set them up 3-0. and uh, They started with wins over Sydney, big comeback win over Hawthorne, um, and then, then dropped that game at home uh, to the Sun. So... For the Bulldogs, they'll be looking looking to bounce back and get on that list. But Collingwood at the MCG, that's a tough ask. Unless they're playing West Coast. Unless then it's playing, pretty easy for West got Coast that game, at the Got that game out of the way. Got, got that, that game, game out of the way, way early, yeah, so we, it should be smooth sailing from here we on for the Pies. We were pretty poor last week. And I think with the Dogs coming up against the Knights, a battle of the midfield. No, for, yeah. But what some media commentators have labelled Collingwood's midfield as the best they've ever seen, which is quite ridiculous considering they haven't even won a premiership. With this, with these players that they've got in there at the moment, you know, it's just ludicrous and really, what would you call it? You just call it baiting. The Brisbane Lions threw out some pretty decent and West Coast as well. You know, (laughs) like I'm not going to name who it was, but it was it was pretty irresponsible. But then again, that form that person not being a a former Collingwood player and being one of their rivals might have something to do with it. I'll take my tinfoil hat off now and say go back to my point that tonight's midfield battle 
is massive because that's where the dogs have been so good at this year. You know, a rejuvenated Marcus Bontempelli with the likes of Tom Liberatore back from his knee, Caleb Daniel playing really well, and then Jack McRae continuing his form from last year. Lucky Hunter's playing good footy. Yeah, left footer, kicking goals. So I think the point of difference for the Pies is going to have to be how well they use Brody Grundy um, because the dogs... I don't even know who's playing. They're playing their second string Ruckman at the moment. Is it Tim, is Tim English playing? Tim English is playing, yeah. I don't think he's their first string. I mean, he's going to be a good player, but he's still young. Yeah, very young. So Grundy's, you know, well-developed, and he's got a tank. So if he can firstly dominate at the stoppages, which we saw Gorn do last night, and help his side to uh, do a victory, that's what Colin would have to try and utilise. And they've been doing it at points, but, but Grundy, you know, considering he's coming up against English, you know, English will compete, but for four quarters, Grundy has just got to dominate that matchup, and that'll give his side a massive launch pad. Sneaky fantasy tip for the C on Grundy. Well, it depends. If you had, if you took the VC loophole last night, if you had Lloyd or Gorn, anything over one hundred and twenty, you've got to take. You've yeah. got to take one in the hand better than two in the bush. But um, yeah, sneaky. Tom Rockcliffe in Port Adelaide, a uh, full Port Adelaide, sneaky. Um, and then obviously dependent on who you've got. Someone like Bontempelli even is, tonight. Is there any chance the coaches tonight just send their midfields in to go head-to-head, no tagging? Well, there's no Greenwood, so he's been dropped uh, for Trav Varco. I don't is, know if is that I because there's that. no matchup for him? Why wouldn't you send him to Bontempelli? Do you reckon he could handle Bontempelli? Because if you go to Bontempelli and they throw a heavy tag on him, they'll just throw Bontempelli to full forward. And he's, it's not, he's a different type of player to Martin, where Bontempelli... Has different leading patterns. He knows how to play as a forward. So, if I, he goes to full forward, you can back Greenwood. If it's not going that way, then obviously you find a defender. Actually, ideally with Collingwood, Bontempelli is quite similar to Cripps from of Carlton. I think they might send Pendlebury to him in the midfield. Yep. Pendles has done a hard tag on Cripps a couple of times before. So I want to see him go head to head. I just want to see both midfielders, both midfielders just go in and. No defence, just all offence, just waves, running in waves and waves and waves. Maybe that's as why a, as we're a not, neutral. Maybe that's why we're not AFL <laughs> coaches. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be the midfield where it's won or lost. If the dogs can um, can get a big advantage from that, that'll send that'll almost guarantee them win. Um, the pies, you know, they need to for their however good they think their midfield is, they need to come out and, and play like that tonight. All right, so I won't go through all the fixtures, but. One of the big ones this, this round, Geelong, who have surprised a lot of people. A lot of people, myself included, were expecting Geelong to sort of take a slide this year. And uh, they've just done the exact opposite. They've come out, played against good opposition and beaten good opposition. Uh, they're playing against the Giants, who um, have shown glimpses in that round one performance against Essendon. They looked fantastic. Round two against West Coast, uh, not so much. And then no. came out against Richmond and looked brilliant. So... Uh, at home, they're fantastic, the Giants. They've had a little bit of trouble away from home, but, but this game poses as a really good opportunity for the Giants to show that they're, they're not just flat-track bullies. They don't just win games at home. In, oh, I'm actually tipping the Giants. I reckon they might go to Geelong and, and bring home the bacon. What do you reckon? I tipped Geelong at the moment, but the way GWS played last week, and I didn't even think they were that bad against West Coast. They just failed to capitalise getting the ball forward. I mean, Cameron kicked six last, uh, seven last week and Jeremy Finlayson kicked five. So they're capable of doing it again this week. And I think Cadinia Park actually suits the way GWS play. They've got a lot of good rebounding halfbacks and the likes of Lockie Whitfield in particular, who amassed 42 disposals last week, Zach Williams, and then through the midfield, the likes of 
Josh Kelly, Stephen Cornelio with their big forwards and up front. So they'll use their kicking skills and try and go quickly up the middle, which will suit them. It'll be whether they're able to um, to outlast Geelong for four quarters. Geelong have been a very good four-quarter side, holding sides in rope-a-dope. They did it in round one against Collingwood. Rope-a-dope, they waited, they got to the third term, saw their opportunity and pounced. Adelaide came at them last week, they came at them, and then in the third quarter, again, you know, partly inspired by Paddy Dangerfield kicking a great goal from a centre clearance, they got away again. So they're a hard side to go. If you're not prepared to go for four quarters against them, you're not going to beat them. So that's probably one of the, the first things GWS need to, to get through their mind. They've got to play four quarters of hard football. And even though they beat Richmond last week, they didn't play four quarters. They were, they were pretty poor in the first quarter, and then after quarter time, they turned it around. So... As a Geelong supporter, you've got to be pretty wrapped with the kids that are coming through. Charlie Constable, uh, Jordan Clark, and also the new recruits. So Luke Dowhouse has come in and taken, taken the year by storm. Gary Rowan's gone forward and, and played his role, provided that forward pressure. So if you look at the big ticks for Geelong in the recruitment stages this year. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of pressure on Chris Scott at times as coach. You know, you hear silly rumours about what might happen if they don't win. But he's, he's to his credit, changed the way that they've had to play. Um, well, they've had to change the way they've played, and he's done that. You know, Their defence, their back six is solid. I don't think they've conceded a big score this year. Um, their midfield is breaking even at the middle, and then when they need to, they amp it up a bit, and they win those clearances and going forward. Obviously, they've been able to actually drop Joel Selwood to a wing because the emergence of Tim Kelly to another level of superstardom has mean they can afford that luxury and allow Selwood to almost act as that Luke Hodge type in terms of controlling the game with his leadership and with his voice and then Kelly and Dangerfield to win the um, the Senate clearances. Also, I think Reece Stanley's had quite a decent year. Um, often maligned a little bit, probably someone, Geelong fans, I think, probably say never lives up to his potential because he's a fantastic athlete, but his start to the year has been really, really good, providing first service to his midfielders, getting around the ground, having an impact, all those sorts of things that you want from your ruckman when you've got such a good midfield. So we've got, we'll finish with one more match, the mighty Gold Coast Suns. They've got an opportunity to go three and one this week. They play against Carlton. At home. At home, yeah, at home. So they play Carlton who are yet to get a win. Carlton will look at this as an opportunity to get on the board. But Gold Coast will look at this as an opportunity to go 3-1. and one. They beat Fremantle, they've beaten the Bulldogs, and they lost to St Kilda by a point. So they could, if they get that kick over, over the line against St Kilda, they could be 3-0 and and looking looking at 4-0 and if they can get the win over Carlton. So Each of their games have been decided by less than a goal. And, they, and in, pre, in previous years, they would lose those games. They've yep. won two of them. So I think the, the players that they've brought in from Geelong, from Richmond. They come from clubs that have a winning culture. They know how to win those games. So you bring in Miles, you bring in Horn Smith. Yeah, so you, you bring in players that know how to win games of football, whereas previously they didn't really have any of those players that um, could really grab a game and say, all right, it's here to be won, let's go and win it. And it's probably a team effort more than an individual player. I actually thought David Swallow in round one against St Kilda nearly inspired them, nearly did that sort of thing, but they ended up going down by a point. But the last two weeks, it's been a team effort. Even Cairns local Jack Bowes has had quite a start to the year, um, getting plenty of the ball and lane tackles. And it, and, it, and that's what it is. It's, it's blokes 
working together as a team that are getting their wins. Like Alex Sexton was leading the common medal after round two. You know, he's popping up for three or four each week. They're not relying on someone to kick eight goals because they don't have those sorts of players. So it's been a real collective team effort. They're holding on to games late and winning them. Um, and yeah, I think Stewie Jew, as I said, I thought he would, is doing quite a good job of turning that place around because they've got the players that they want there, the players that are there want to be there. And, you know, they could be 3-1 and one on the weekend. Well, everyone, it seems that everyone at Gold Coast knows what their role is. And if you don't play your role, they'll go and get someone from the reserves to come in and play it. So I think that approach that uh, Stewie Jew has taken has... It's had an effect, but the players have bought into it. And they said, yeah, this is my role. If I go and fulfil that role, my teammate does his role, then more often than not, we're going to be in these games of football. And as they've shown, they can win a couple of them. So from a Carlton perspective, what do they need to do to get their first win on the board, aside from find a second or third Patrick Cricks? They can't fade. They're dropping out of games. You know, against Richmond, they were really good in the second and third quarters. I probably won those two quarters. They didn't kick a goal in the first or the fourth. Last week against Sydney, they dropped. They kicked five, I think, in the first quarter. And then for the second and third quarter, they kicked one up until the last minute of the third quarter where they got a 50-metre penalty and a free kick, and all of a sudden they were back into it. They're not getting blown away. Their scoring is drying up at times, but they've got to be in the game for four quarters. They can't allow these lapses, not just for a quarter, but they're going for a half at the moment. Otherwise, it's just crippling their ability to win games because they get themselves in good positions, they lose their way a bit, the opposition sneaks ahead, and then all of a sudden they're back in it, but they're too far away and it's a mountain too hard to climb. So they stay in the game up there on the Gold Coast and they'll be in with the red-hot chance because they've been impressive this year, Carlton. You know, I've mentioned horrible losses with Richmond and trying not to have those, but they probably had a couple. Carlton, I mean, not Richmond. So they don't want a fourth one because... As much as you can see you're moving towards doing good things and you the Carlton are doing good things, you still want to sing yeah. the, get the circle and sing the song after a game. Yeah. Because after a while losing, no matter how well you're playing when you lose, still sucks. So they need a win, they need it bad, and they need it Sunday afternoon. Do you reckon they'll get it? They're a chance. A good chance. Who's your tip? I think I go Suns on the home ground factor because if I'm the never sure, Gold Coast the mighty Gold Coast Suns. If I'm never sure about a game, I tend to go the home team. Home, ground, home team. Yep. Although I probably should have tipped Melbourne last night. No, home team. Always go the home team. Always go the home team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got a couple minutes left. We'll finish up with Avengers. Okay, yes, we can kind of do this. We've got tickets. Opening night. Opening night. We've got them. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Yeah, do it properly. Opening night, large popcorn, large coke. Two large popcorns because it's a three-hour movie. Yeah, I'll I'll bring a bag of popcorn. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a game on Saturday. I mean, you never would because you don't play, but I don't because it's it's Easter Saturday three days afterwards. Massive. Massive game. So... And we can talk about it because we've got Marvel Stadium, so this is actually okay. Yeah, so you might even say the AFL is home to the Avengers. You could. I'm not actually saying that, just to clarify. clarify. Just, yeah, just pointing out that Marvel. But Marvel, they do sponsor it, and Chris Hemsworth loves the dogs, so maybe he'll cry tonight. Who's your favourite Avenger? We've discussed, well, we went through this before off-air, but yep. um, yeah, OG Iron Man, because Iron he was Man. there from the start. I must have been... 10 when the first, 9 or 10 when the first movie came out. Didn't actually see it in cinemas. I had to wait six months until it came out on DVD. Yep. Then I went and saw Iron Man 2 in the cinema. 
and, you know, hooked. And it's just been, you know, as much as Cap is trying hard to be that leader, it's 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 Tony Stark. Iron Man's the man. Iron Man is the man. So of all, so I'm a, personally, I like Thor. Yeah. Big Spider-Man fan, but um, Thor, Thor's my man as well. So taking all the Marvel movies up to Endgame, you can only watch one. Which one do you watch? Wow. That is really hard. Because there's probably, if you, you grade them, there's probably about six or seven which are A plus, and then you know you might go, you might have a couple, two or three in the A's, and then the A minuses goes down to about a B. The worst Marvel movie has probably been a B. We're just so lucky that there are like 15 great ones. You know, we get a, a B grade film, and it's like, oh, well. I'm going to I'm going to say. What would you say? I'm still Civil thinking War. about it. Civil War. Civil War. Yeah. I like Civil War. If you had to watch one... Although I do I do like Black Panther as well. Oh, yes. And that was massive over in America as well. A really good cultural symbol, I think. It's so hard, but you probably have to go with Infinity War. Infinity just War? because it's everyone, yes. except Hawkeye and Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone then, except Hawkeye. Except for Hawkeye, who's gone from like everyone's most hated Avenger to everyone's like second Avenger, maybe third. So he's done pretty well, but Infinity War... Just the culmination, it's never been done before, of so many films into one massive story, and everyone should have seen it by now, you know, such a great story, that had, you know, each character's unique elements, you know, had the Guardians in their music, Thor's humour, you know, Tony being the leader, Cap finding himself. The, the good thing about Marvel is you go into these movies with such high expectations, and like you were saying before, if, if B is the lowest grade, they just deliver. You, you never leave going, oh, that wasn't as good as I was expecting it to be. That was disappointing. You go in there expecting big things, and you come out and you're like, yeah, got exactly what I was after, if not more. Probably lucky, too, a little bit that those B-grade movies were some of the first ones. You had, like, Captain America, number one, Thor 1, Thor 2, you know, the first ten movies. So they're not bad in little snippets. As a whole, they can be a bit tough to watch, but, you know, they still got good parts, and, you know, they were early there. Yeah. You know, now our big grade It's because you're comparing them to yeah. the current ones. What we've got is so good. Like, probably the most recent B-grade movie would be probably Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is always going to be tough to follow. It's a movie following Infinity War. Yeah, that's, so that's the problem. The timing of it wasn't just... It wasn't ideal. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't great for Ant-Man. But someone had to. So, And that's... Well, everyone should have seen it. So it's well set up for Endgame, which is out in less than two weeks. Make sure you watch it. At least three times. At least three times. In cinemas. Alright, yes, it is. Well, we've, we've managed to wrap this one up in under 45 minutes. So, I signed us in. I'll let you throw us out. You probably should have told me this before. No, nah, we're doing it now. No, I'm going to throw it straight to you. You're good under pressure, Guesty. I'm okay sometimes. Well, thanks for tuning in, folks. Hope you had a great listen. Make sure you watch Avengers Endgame when it comes out in cinemas. Have a good time. Make sure you watch the footy tonight. Go the pies. And until next time, this is Chris and Guesty signing off. See you, guys.